Welcome to the It's a God Thing podcast. This is your first time listening. I'm your host, Boise, and we are all about unpacking the Bible in an everyday way, helping to strengthen your faith and encourage you on your walk with Jesus. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at It's a God Thing. That's T-I-N-G, It's a God Thing. Welcome to the second episode of It's a God Thing. And we're looking at, over these two episodes, how do we answer the question, how do I know if I'm saved? And if you have listened to the first episode, if you haven't, I'd advise you to listen to the first episode. Um, We took a a journey down what is called the Romans Road to Salvation. And that's looking at a few verses in the book of Romans where Paul very clearly and simply outlines what it is we need to believe to be saved and what it should look like if we are saved. And so just to recap our journey down Romans Road, um, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. Our punishment for this is death and eternal hell. But God offers us a way out to save us from the punishment. And that way out, that salvation is Jesus, that you know Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead. If we believe that, we're good with God. If we declare it with our mouth, then we're saved and we're at peace with God. So that's basically what we looked at in episode one. You can catch episode one in the same place you found this episode. So in episode two, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be saved? And how can we know that what we believe has actually led us to salvation? So just because we believe that we are saved, it doesn't actually mean sometimes that we are. You know, we can easily fool ourselves or naively sort of go about our church life thinking that we're saved when we're actually not so this is my second point I said I've got you know that I'm going to unpack that question that my niece asked me how do I know if I'm saved with a few with a few points actually there's six points so my second point is do you mean what you believe and in Matthew's gospel in chapter seven Jesus warned those around him and us that there's going to be people who think they're saved but actually they're not And at verse 21, we read, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Verse 22, Only on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, Jesus said, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who breaks. God's laws and so here Jesus is given a, given a two-sided warning basically against false believers so you might have a religious leader or a church leader that you know they appear to be really respectable full of bible knowledge and right answers but when you actually look closely at the fruit and character of their life they don't actually really represent God and at the same time Someone can claim to be a follower of Jesus. They can go to church their whole life. You know, they can be cooking, cleaning, tithing for 50 odd years, referring to Jesus as Lord their whole life, but they're not actually a true believer. And as Jesus says here in verse 21, only those who do the will of the Father will be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. And in chapter 6 of John's Gospel, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then at night, after waiting ages for Jesus to return, 
the disciples get into a boat and they head across the lake towards Capernaum. And a massive storm comes and suddenly they see Jesus walking on water towards them. And then the next day the crowds took boats and went looking for Jesus and they found him at the other side of the lake and they asked Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replies, to be honest, you man only want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miracles that I performed. And he goes on to say, don't concern yourself with things like food that can perish. Use your energy and seek the eternal life that I can give you. And the key verses here in, in, in 28 and 29, the crowd reply, totally missing Jesus' point, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? And so Jesus replies, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. So look at yourself, you know, read John chapter 6 in your own time. You know, Jesus goes on to teach them you know, about him being the bread of life and anyone who eats of that bread will never go hungry. But the point here is, all God wants from us, the only inverted commas, quote unquote, works he wants from us to do is to believe in Jesus, the one who he sent. You know, so you can be on this committee at church, you can be serving this, this team, that team, doing this and doing that, but it all actually adds up to nothing in terms of our salvation and whether we're saved, whether or not our name is going to be written in the book of life. If you do not truly, genuinely believe in Jesus, it all amounts to nothing because we can't be saved by our works and what we do or don't do at church in life. You know, our good works, they might make us look good in front of people or not. You know, it might fool others. It might even fool ourselves. But our works cannot fool God. So in summary, Jesus is saying basically in this in Matthew that only those who come to God, the Father, through true faith in Jesus Christ will become citizens of heaven. And the only works that God will recognise is believing in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying... You know, don't don't turn up for the food bank this week at your church if you're on rota. And I'm not saying God doesn't want you to come to church and, and help set up the AV system on Sunday if that's what you do for church, God forbid. But, you know, God doesn't measure our salvation by what we do. He measures it by what we believe in our heart. And, you know, doing the will of God... Doing, God, doing what God has called us to do. Serving God takes obedience. And this is another sign and test of if we're saved. Because in 1 John chapter 2 we read how we can know if we're truly saved or not. And we read, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but does not obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word, sorry, I'll start again. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love Him. That is how we know we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So here, John is saying that you can know that you truly know Jesus. So you can know if you truly know Jesus if you live in obedience to His word. Now, someone could say, as far as I know, I do believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. I try my best to always obey him, but I often fall short. So, 
if I can never walk perfectly in this life, if I can never always live up to God's standard, how can I be sure that I truly know Jesus and I'm truly saved? Well, John Calvin, who, I don't know if you know, I've heard of him, he was not only a banging theologian, but was a really good pastor as well. He answers this question in a couple of ways. And he points out that there's, you know, no one in human history except for Jesus who has perfectly kept God's commandments. And so if perfect obedience was the requirement to salvation, then no one could ever confidently say, and you know, if, if that was, if perfect obedience was the measure of whether we know Jesus or not, then there's nobody who can confidently say, I know Jesus, if that was the measure. So Calvin says that keeping God's commandments refers to, and this is a bit wordy, but I'll unpack it in, in a minute, such a strive according to the capacity of human infirmity to form their life in conformity to the will of God. So to live your life how God wants you to live it. For whenever scripture speaks of the righteousness of the faithful, it does not exclude the remission of sins, but on the contrary, it begins with it. And about, you know, and about the fact that no one loves God perfectly, Calvin replies and says that that is sufficient provided everyone aspired to this perfection according to the measure of grace given to him. In the meantime, the definition is that the perfect love of God is the complete keeping of his law. To make progress in this as in knowledge is what we ought to do. So basically you know that that was that was some deep theological stuff but basically the issue is purpose direction and focus this is what calvin is saying here and this is what the bible is t is t teaches us if the purpose and direction of your life is to please god by obedience to him and his word and to tr keep his commandments then you can know that you know him it doesn't mean that you're never going to fail but it means when you do, you get up and you keep walking in obedience. You keep seeking to please God with all of your life. So ask yourself first, I guess, do I know Jesus Christ? You know, have you trusted in him as the one who paid for your sins? If the answer is yes, then you ask yourself, do I know that I know him? Well, how do I know that I know him? Well, do I obey his word and seek to live as Jesus lived? And if that is the direction and focus of your life, then you can know that you know him and you could be pretty sure that you're saved because you're moving in the right direction. You're walking in obedience. And even when you fall short, fall short, you get up and you continue to walk in obedience. My next point is, and we're going to whiz through the rest of the points, but my next point is CCR. Convict confess and repent are we performing ccr and let's not twist ccr with cpr but in a, i guess in a sense this is a spiritual cpr but this is convict confess repent and it's all to do with the heart and conviction the bible tells us that the holy spirit convicts us of our sin so firstly this conviction is not just having a guilty conscience or feeling shame because of our sin now, these are natural human feelings that most people in the world feel. That's not conviction. Conviction also isn't 
you know, simply knowing right from wrong, because we all know right from wrong, saved or not saved, believer or not believer, right is right, wrong is wrong, that's not conviction. True conviction can only happen to a believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I guess, in a way, it acts as the prosecutor, you know, exposing our sin and wrongdoing to us. And feeling true conviction feels like we're we're mourning every time we sin. So when we feel true Holy Spirit conviction, it should feel like somebody's that wretched, that feeling we get when we find out somebody's died and when we're mourning somebody, that's how we should feel when we when we sin. You know, we should feel like a deep hatred for what we've done. And when Isaiah stood in God's presence, he straight away was overwhelmed by his own sinfulness and he wrote, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And if we're a true believer, then we have experienced God's presence in our lives. Like we know he's real. We feel his spirit at work within us and in our lives. So when we sin, you know, we should be feeling like Joseph did when he fled from temptation in Genesis chapter 39. You know, he was crying out, how could I do this this great evil and sin against God? You know, this, that's conviction. And once you've, you know, once we've felt convicted of our sin, what should we do with it? We need to feel compelled to confess. You know, to come to God and confess our sins to him. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, If we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the key word for us in that sentence is if. If we confess our sins. And yes, you know, God knows our heart. You know, he knows we've sinned. He knows we were going to sin before we knew we were going to sin. But we still need to confess to God. But he saved us from our sins when Jesus died on the cross. You know, we've been in, we've been down Romans Road and, and Jesus is my saviour. I believe, I believe this. So how, so how I'm saved. If I'm saved, why do I need to confess my sins every time I've sinned? If I'm saved, I'm good, bruv. Like, why do I need to keep going to God every time and saying I'm sorry? Like, I'm saved. You could take that attitude. Well, let me put it like this, right? In the winter, when I stand at my bedroom window, that sounds really profound, I know, but the winter sunshine, you know, it's beaming onto my window and it's hella cold outside, but the sun is shining through the window and I start to feel the warmth of the rays sort of on my face. And then I close my eyes. Sorry, no, then I close my blinds on my eyes. Then I close my blinds and the room goes darker. And suddenly, instantly, I can no longer feel that warmth of the winter sun on my face. Now, was it because the sun stopped shining? No. Something had come between me and the sun. As soon as I open my, the blinds again, the sun will be beaming through, warming my cheeks. It's up to me. The barrier is inside the house, not outside the house. It's something in my control, in my grasp. And that's like unconfessed sin. It's like my blinds. You know, God wants us to feel the warmth of, of his love. But when we choose to sin, we put up a barrier between us and God. 
you know, we close the blinds on our relationship with him and we can feel that, that cold chill of not being in God's presence. And that's why when we sin and we're convicted of our sin, we need to confess it to God. We need to open those blinds of shame and conviction. And I'm stretching this blind analogy a bit too much here, but we need to lift that shame and conviction by confessing our sins to God when we sin. When we sin and then we need to repent. And repenting to complete the action of CCR is simply put, it's changing our minds about something. But if we change our mind about something, there needs to be a change in behaviour as well. You know, if I'm if I'm driving down Brixton High Road and I realise I should be on Acre Lane, but I keep dri- driving towards Kennington, nothing's going to change. You know, no matter how much I try and tell myself I've repented of my wrong direction that I'm driving in, and I'm, you know, and I'm cool with going the wrong way, that's not repentance. Because I know I'm going in the wrong direction. I've just acknowledged that. But I haven't, nothing's changed. And the same is with our sin. You know, if we've been convicted by the Holy Spirit because of our sin, and we've confessed it to God, and we repent, but we continue to do that sin, we've not really repented. Saying sorry and being sorry and even feeling sorry is not the same as repenting. We can feel sorry all we like for something without dealing with the actual issue that leads us to do that sin. Hence why in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes, Godly sorrow brings a repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So an unbeliever who has the desire to repent and trust in Jesus, there's some evidence that God is at work in that person if a believer wants to repent of a sin that has crept into their life or you know has been there historically then or long term then this is because the holy spirit is at work in the life and heart of that believer so so to summarize this point how do we know that we're saved we need to be constantly performing ccr on our hearts no we need to be convicted when we sin we need to be confessing our sins to god and we need to be repenting from our sins and making every effort to turn away from them to change our minds about committing whatever sins we're committing my next point is justified so that we can sanctify you know just because we're saved from the penalty of our sins doesn't mean we're going to stop sinning you know the bible says that we should be sinning less and less after we're saved and when we're saved we're justified and justification simply means that someone has been declared innocent of their past crimes that's the that's what the legal term justification means so in terms of salvation at the moment of salvation when we repent and believe declare jesus as lord of our life we are justified because we've been saved and justified god then begins to sanctify us and this is lots of big theological terms but once we've been justified god begins to sanctify us and this isn't like justification justification is a one-time thing we can only be saved once we can only be justified once for something to be sanctified it means it's been set apart for special use you know like mount sinai was set apart from the other mountains for giving the law to moses and the israelites 
and to worship God. And the temple in Jerusalem was set apart from all other locations for worshipping God. You know, things that are sanctified are reserved for God's purposes. And to be sanctified means God has been and is at work in our lives. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus praying for his disciples. Verse 13, I am coming to you now. This is Jesus praying to God, his Father in heaven. But I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is that you take them out of the world sorry my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one they are not of the world even as i am not of it kiva sanctify them by the truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world i have sent them into the world second key verse verse 19 john chapter 17 for them i sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified to jesus sanctification was a big thing to be sanctified means that god's word has had and is having an effect on us it's through the word as jesus has said that god cleanses us he makes us holy and there'll be there will be moments you know of what we call backsliding for every believer but back to the question of the day how do i know that i'm saved if you find your life is changing and, and you're seeking to walk in the light more and more and not less and less as your life with Jesus grows, then this is a sign that you are saved and you know God is sanctifying you and, and, and cleansing you and making you more and more holy. We're soon done. My last point, number five. Actually, no, my second to last point. Loving God, loving people. And, you know, it'd be kind of careless of me, you know, spending all this time speaking about how do I know I'm saved if I don't, don't mention love. You know, in Matthew 20, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is confronted by one of the Pharisees who was apparently an expert in religious law, trying to trap Jesus as they always did. He asks him, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second and equally important one is love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God, love people. This is the greatest commandment, Jesus says. And in 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 to 20 we read if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers it proves that we have passed from death to life but if a person who has no love but a person who has no love is still dead if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers it proves that we have passed from death to life but if a person has no love they are still dead anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart and you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in needs but they show no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty. God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. So in verse 14, we see a review of one of the spiritual sort of self-examination tests that we can perform on ourselves. And that is, do we love our brothers and sisters? If we truly love others from our heart, then this is evidence that we are saved. If we don't love others, then we are still abiding in death. There's a chance that, you know, if we can still have hatred in our heart for somebody, that we might not actually truly be saved. So you see, loving other people, not liking, loving other people is not a choice, it's not optional. You know, it's not just there as a, as a choice if we, you know, if or when we feel like it. It is the core mark of a believer, the core action of a believer. After trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, our lives are to be different. And a key aspect of that difference is that we are to love one another. A true believer loves others. You know, and here we see God, you know, God equates hatred with murder. To God, they're one, they're one or two of the same thing. Why? Because the attitude is equal to the action. You know, according to the world standard, you can think whatever you want. You know, you can lust, cover, envy or hate. But if you don't do it, you know, perhaps out of fear of, you know, being caught or being punished, then it's okay. It's cool. You know, in a court of law, you probably wouldn't get convicted. But, you know, most of the time, they won't even know because these are unseen things, you know, coveting, um, envying somebody, hating somebody, they're things that, unless we display it on the outside, they're unseen actions. All in our mind and heart, but God knows, bruv, and sis. You know, he sees everything, and he will judge us on our thoughts and our motivations. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 to 13, God's word exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. What's more, you know, if we have hate and greed in our hearts, eventually these attitudes are bound to show themselves in our behaviour. So how do we know we're saved? If we feel a desire to resolve any unconfessed ill feelings or anger that we have towards someone, this is a good sign of salvation. This, you know, this is a sign of salvation. You know, if you feel the need to confess your sin to God, and, you know, yes, not forgiving somebody is also a sin, this is a sign of salvation. If you feel you have to go to your brother or sister and resolve the conflict and, and whatever they did to you, you know, you feel like you have to forgive them, you want to forgive them, then this is a sign of salvation. You know, God being present in your life, his spirit at work in you, convicting you and moving you to love, not hate, and forgive, not condemn. Does that sound familiar? God is love. And God's love 
dwells within us in the form and shape and power of the Holy Spirit and we're called to love others as God loves us. You know, while we were sinning, he sent his only son to die for us and we were forgiven while we're sinning. We go to God as sinners. We go to God when we receive our salvation. We're going to God full of sin, full of dirtiness, full of wretched thoughts, full of hatred, full of lies. Full of all the wrong. Imagine all the wrong you've done in the world, in your life. That's how we go to God. And he looks at us. And he forgives us. And he saves us. God is love. That's God's love for us. And we're called to love of others as God has loved us. Love God, love people. The whole thing, the whole Bible is wrapped up, Jesus said, in those two commandments. It's big. Jesus said so, not me. The plane is coming to land. My last point is keep on keeping on. Now, one of the main signs of salvation of us knowing we're saved, is perseverance. You know, those who are truly saved will keep going. You know, they'll keep enduring till the end. Till God calls us home or Jesus comes back for us, we'll keep professing our faith in Jesus. We'll keep obeying God and his word. We'll keep doing our CCR, feeling convicted, confessing our sins to God, repenting, and we'll keep on being sanctified. We'll continue to love God and to love people. And nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And sadly, sadly, brothers and sisters, if someone does give up and doesn't return to Jesus, it doesn't mean that they've lost their salvation, but unfortunately, it means that they were never saved to begin with. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes in chapter 1, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul writes, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. We need to keep going, brothers and sisters. We need to keep running the race. So how can you know if you're truly saved? How can you have assurance of salvation? We must examine ourselves. We must pass the test of faith. But ultimately, we must rest secure in the truth that God is faithful even when we're not. You know, God alone is the reason that you are saved. Trust God for your salvation and rejoice in the assurance that he alone can give. And if you haven't made a commitment to God... If you haven't declared with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus died for you and is Lord, but you feel you're ready to or you want to understand or know more, then give me a shout. Drop me a DM at It's A God Ting, T-I-N-G, on Instagram. Let's chat. I'm going to end with the word of the words, not word, because that would just be one word. I'll end with the words of Jesus' brother, Jude. He wrote, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, 
hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. And we all said, Amen. Thank you for joining me for this episode of It's a God Ting. I hope and pray that you have been encouraged and strengthened in your walk with Christ in some way. And do join me again soon for another episode. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at It's a God Ting. Thank you.